So we're back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, same passage as we were navigating last week. And last week we talked about grief because it was Mother's Day. And so I, got, I got several points of feedback last week after, afterwards. It's like, why did you do that? I have no good idea. Just ignorance on my part. Uh, but before we get started, one of the coolest things that has happened to me in a long time, and it happened to me this morning, I just want to highlight it. So I sent an email out each week as we navigate and prepare for Sunday morning. Some of you read it, some of you don't. I totally get that. But Derek Paulson reads it, and I was just, this is one of the, the, the best things that's ever happened to me. So my email, if you didn't read it, had to do with this book series, this, this record, 45. So in, back in 1984, Hardee's, remember the restaurant Hardee's? We had a Hardee's in my hometown, and what would happen is you'd go and you'd buy a kid's meal, and with that kid's meal came this little book, and in the back of this book, there was a little sleeve, there was a, a 45, a record that slid in there, and it was about the movie Gremlins, okay? And I couldn't believe it. So Derek came up to me this morning and he handed me this like, great, Scott, I haven't seen this thing in like 40 years. And I just meant Derek's one of my favorite people. So thank you, Derek. Derek, uh, this has just solidified Derek's coolness in the history of mankind. Uh, the fact that not only he knew what I was talking about, but he still had it. I don't get it, but thank you, Derek. That's wonderful. Uh, so we're going to be navigating this, this same passage. Last week, we talked about grief. Well, there's something in this, in this passage, that we're going to be, we're going to be looking at this word, and, and this word doesn't, ref, it doesn't really appear in the Scripture. It's actually, I believe, a Latin word. It refers to rapture or being taken up. And so we're actually looking at some eschatology, which is a big word that kind of means the sequence of the end times. However, we're not going to be really engaging in deep, conversation about all the nuances of these end times uh, theologies, but rather this bigger picture that I'm convinced that Paul is communicating to the Thessalonians and likely also to us. So to start, I want to look way back. We've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians, way back to that first week when we looked at chapter 1. And if you remember, there was those three elements. We see them also in 1 Corinthians 13. It's that faith, hope, and love, the, the trifecta, if you will. And in this verse, verse 3, we see all three of them present. And it says, Father, your work produced by, or God and Father, produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. This is the main driving force behind this whole letter that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians. And when we come into chapter 4, we see that hope really becoming described and real for these people in Thessalonica. And I just, we got to understand, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit, very little bit about the, the end times, the sequencing, the eschatology, but the bigger driving force is the hope that we see in this passage. Don't miss the hope, because if you're looking at all of the sequence, well, how's the end going to happen? When is this rapture that we talked about? We'll talk a little bit more about that. What about the, this tribulation? If you were with us through the Revelation series, we talked about some of these things, the millennium. I know some of these words may confuse you. You may not understand them. I'm not going to describe them today. We did a number of years ago now in our Revelation series that is still online. If you want to navigate back to that, by all means, if you have questions on that, please take a look at that. But the main peace. We just, I, I'm so passionate about us understanding what hope is, especially in this culture that we live in. 
especially when you look at some of the things that I know you guys are facing in this broken world, it can be very difficult to find where's my hope today? Where's my hope tomorrow? Where's my hope for retirement? And as we look forward, it's like, there just doesn't seem to be anything there. And we find ourselves in moments of despair. That's nothing new. And it's a very real aspect of that. I'm convinced that every one of us, like last week shared in the idea of grief, we also share in this desperate need for hope. And when we can't find hope, we fall into what's called despair. You remember back in 2008, this was one of the platforms that Barack Obama brought to his campaign. If you remember, his, he had these pictures, and behind these pictures or under these pictures, on each one of them, there was a different phrase, and this one was hope, and he also had change, and he also had progress. And this idea of hope, and, and I understand what he's getting at, and this is not a criticism to Barack Obama, because we all fall into the same capacity, so don't misunderstand. However, Barack Obama presented himself as this vessel of hope Elect me as president, and I will bring you the hope that you're all looking for. And unfortunately, he didn't do that. Maybe he believed he did. Maybe some believed he did, but he didn't. Why? Because he couldn't. Neither can any of our other political leaders. None of them can provide that hope. Some hope can be temporary. Did Abraham Lincoln bring some semblance of hope when it came to abolishing the slave trade? Yeah, but don't, don't miss this reality that that is all part of this broken temporary world, could Abraham Lincoln bring in that eternal hope that what happens after we die? And no one except for Jesus Christ could ever bring that. And that's, we got to see that here this morning. So sorry, there's no political leader. As we got another election year coming up, you're going to look for someone who can provide some hope for us in this country. Maybe they can in some monetary way. Maybe they can help our taxes. Maybe they can help our finances. But can they bring this hope of what happens after I die? They cannot. But there is someone who can. And that's who we're going to look at this morning. So they, I took some time this week and I processed it. I know I can pay, put up Merriam-Webster's definitions all day long. However, I think I have a better idea sometimes. So I created my own definition of hope. Are you ready for this? It's like You might want to write this down. Okay. You'll, some of you will write this down and then you'll go home and you'll burn it later. I know what you'll do. But I was, thinking, I was just wrestling with it. Okay, what is hope? As we look at hope, what is it we're looking for? And this is kind of what I came up with. It's, it's this desire for improvement. It's to, to go from where I'm at now. I hope for something else. I hope for something different, whether that's uh, monetary stability, you know, financial stability, whether it's, I, I, I hope that the decisions that my children make will be good decisions. It's, it's something that I want it to improve. I want it to be better. Or it's a change for something to get better. That's this idea that I, when I look at the hope that our society is looking for, that's how I break it down. It's to move from a place of dissatisfaction to a place of complete satisfaction. And so when I look at my understanding of hope, I can't find it in this world. I can't find it in anything I do. I can't find it in anyone. And there's no one. I mean, Sarah's great, but she can't provide that fullness of complete satisfaction. I mean, it's just not possible. As great as she is, as great as you are, you, we can't do that. There's got to be something more that's got to provide a hope that's beyond what it is that I find missing in my life. Interesting statistic, very sad statistic. Look at this. 
So this is the suicide rates. This is for those people, I believe, when we come to a point where I have lost all hope, I fall into what's called, I call, despair. So there's either something that keeps me moving forward, this idea of hope, or I lose that hope and I fall into what is despair. And despair is the utter absence of hope. There is nothing left to hope for. Therefore, there is nothing left to live for and it's done. And I'm sick of it. And this is what the statistics are. Look back in 2000 to 2020, the suicide rates and how our people, this is from the CDC, how people have lost hope continually increasing and increasing and increasing. Do you think we're facing a pandemic of lost hope in our country, in our world? And that's, that's heavy. It's heavy on my heart. It's heavy on my soul. And quite frankly, I believe that as the church, we have the hope that the world needs. And we have so many people that need also to have that hope because they're falling into despair. And let this be something that's like, wow, that's crazy. I don't, it's heavy, yeah, but what do we do with this? And I, I'm convinced that as we look at this passage of Scripture, as we look at other portions of the Scriptures this morning, let the Word of God this morning that we look at and we read reveal to you first and foremost that there is a hope that is greater than anything else that you hope for in this world. And number two, May the the realization of where your hope lies be something that that drives you, that motivates you, that propels you into being able to engage the rest of this culture who desperately needs hope to reveal to them also where their hope can lie. This is, we, in our grow groups just a few months ago, this came up about Larry King's beliefs. And Lee Strobel was doing the video series, and I looked it up after the fact. This is, and I know there wasn't a lot of you involved in that, but this is a quote from Larry King in his regards. He's dead now, but before he died, he wrestled with it. And I, I watched some of the old episodes that he, when he had Billy Graham on there, and just it's fascinating, this man's thinking. And this is what he came up with when he's looking for hope. He said, so the only hope, this is Larry King, the only hope, the only fragment of hope is to be, this is his conclusion, is to be frozen. And then someday they cure whatever you died of and you're back. So when he died, whatever it is that killed him, he wanted his body to be frozen. You know, it's cryogenics, cryogenically frozen so that when they can figure out what he died of, like to cure it, then he could be brought back and they could fix it and he could continue to live. That was his hope. And he had been presented with the gospel message because I heard it. I heard Billy Graham lay it out for him. And yet this is his conclusion, what he came to with hope. And this is what's fascinating to me too is in the, the after that fact, he says other people, they have no hope. In other words, if you have no hope in cryogenics, you have no hope. And I look at this, it's like this poor man, you're basing all of this on something that's empty, that's a big maybe, and the hope of Christ is not just a maybe. And that's what I hope you'll see that this morning. Billy Graham then also is quoted, and he said this on Larry King's, and this is nothing necessarily new for us, but he said this on one of the Larry King episodes when he was visiting with Larry King on the show. He said, death is the king of terrors, the great enemy, the last enemy. That was Billy Graham saying that death is what everyone is trying to avoid. That is our nemesis. Just like grief was last week, death 
It's what we're all trying to avoid. It's what we're all driving towards. It's what we're all heading towards. And that's the enemy that we're trying to confront. And Larry King understood it. Death is my enemy. And the only way I see around it is to freeze me and hopefully the scientists can cure it and then I'll be okay. 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus conquered the last enemy. Don't miss this. If you're looking for a place of hope, Jesus destroyed what Billy Graham referred to as the greatest and final last enemy. He destroyed death. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 and 55. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ destroyed death. Does that mean we're not going to die? Physically, we will. And that's what we're going to look at. This is some of that dynamic that the Thessalonians were struggling with because the people were dying and they felt like people are going to miss out on this coming of Jesus again. What's going to happen? That's what we talked about last week. Death is inevitable. It's like the two sure things in life, death and taxes. We've all seen the taxes. We haven't seen the death yet. But what's changed is when Jesus comes Now, death isn't the end of life for a believer. If you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done, death will not lead to life for you. Death will lead to more death and eternal death. And that's not our topic for today, but it is serious. And we find evidence of that in Matthew 24. I don't know that we're going to get to that part today. But the point of it is, this death, this final enemy has been conquered by Jesus Christ, and that is why we can have hope. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, this is that prayer we've been navigating through week after week. And we looked at these different points, and we, we uh, looked at love, and we looked at, I don't remember what the other one was, but the point of it is, we're looking at hope here today. So the bottom of it here, in verse 13, and this is what Paul's pointing at. At the end of chapter 3, Paul says, here's your hope. I know you guys have been following Christ. You've been pursuing him. You've been pursuing this holy living. And it says, when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones, in other words, be ready because Jesus is coming and that is where your hope is. This one who conquered sin and death, he guess what? He's coming back. And we're gonna look at what that all means here today. Jesus himself talked about this idea of this rapture, this be taken up. And we're gonna, we, we saw the verses last week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at chapter 15. Paul's got another account of this rapture moment, but Jesus himself speaks of this moment. And so a little intro into it. We're going to see it. I cut this down. I had the whole thing in there for a while. I kind of tried to streamline a little bit. I hope it's not too much for you, but try to follow along with what Jesus is saying. The moments here are Jesus is just leaving the temple with his disciples and they're in awe about what they see before them in this temple. And Jesus basically says, guess what? This whole place is going to crumble. And this is what he lays out. So Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Whoa, Jesus, do you see all this stuff? It's so cool. Do you see all these things? He asks, truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, when is it going to happen? So Jesus kind of alludes to there's going to come a time where there's great destruction. And the disciples come and say, uh, when can we expect to see this? And what will be the sign? How will we know that your time of coming into that kingdom come will be coming? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And we dealt with this through the Revelation series. But keep this in mind. 
We have the birthing pains. We're going to see that referred to here in a moment. We have the birthing pains before us. Our world, you can see it wearing out like a rag. The evidence is there. What this means is these words that Jesus is saying to us now should cause our ears to perk up and let's listen to what Jesus is about to tell us and what we need to know. And it's going to relate directly to what Paul's got for us. He says, people are going to come. They're going to deceive you. Uh, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So we get a little window, a little picture of this sequence. We don't have all the answers, but please don't fall into the trap. And I mean, it's a trap of trying to spend all of your time navigating of the sequence of all of this stuff. Because by navigating and taking all of your energy and trying to figure out, well, what happens then, 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 and we get all this stuff squared away, now I've got it all locked in. Now I'm going to tell you when that rapture happens. If anyone ever tells you, hey, the rapture is going to happen on Tuesday, they're wrong. Unless, of course, they're right. You follow what I did there? Yeah. But they don't know. If If they're right, they got lucky is what it points to, okay? They don't know. They spent all their time looking at all of this evidence and they're trying to pinpoint a date that they don't know. Every generation from the time that Jesus left and ascended into heaven has believed that this is the generation where the rapture is going to take place. And that's okay. I got to think that that's probably part of Jesus' point and what he wanted us to live like as if Jesus is coming back every single day. Anyway. See to it that you're not alarmed. These things must happen in the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Do we see that? Yeah, constantly. Does, is it escalating? It feels like it. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of the birth pains. In other words, hey, I understand. Jesus says, I know what's coming. Hang tight. You have hope. The hope isn't for world peace in this way. The hope for is for world peace for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ when he brings in a new heaven and a new earth. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Great Scott, have we seen that or what? The violence and the coldness that mankind has for one another. It's crazy. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Again, the sequence piece. Do we, do we spend all of our time looking at that? No, but we see it there. We can, we can tuck it away in the back of our minds and know and understand it. There's a role for us to play in this realm. Verse 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you this ahead of time. Jesus tells us this so that we're not surprised, so that we understand I can hold on to a hope that he has set up before me, even when everything seems to be falling apart. And for some of us, it feels like life is really falling apart. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as, this is important because this is what Paul's going to uh, point to as well. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, you're going to see it. Well, if your question is, did Jesus just come back? Hey, you'll know. If you're a follower of Christ, there's not going to be any mistaking when Jesus actually comes back. And that's where we get into some of that millennial, amillennial points of view. Some believe that it's all, he's already come. I don't believe it. 
because I feel like we would have known. And this is one evidence of why we would have known. Verse 29 then says, Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming from the clouds. Why will they mourn? I'm convinced that when I look at this picture, and this is not something I relish in, but mankind will mourn when we realize not only the holiness of God, the depravity of mankind, but how we, myself included, have put our hope in things outside of the King Jesus. Oh, and we have missed it. Put your hope in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I'm convinced that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ will not experience the same picture of mourning. When the sun is coming in the clouds in heaven, the power and the great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. We'll look at that here in a second too. A loud trumpet. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. This is that rapture moment that we start to see. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, Jesus says. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of man. In other words, when Noah was preparing that stuff, he didn't know when that rain was going to come, but he believed that it was going to come. Likewise, we don't know when Jesus is going to come, but we believe Jesus is going to come. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day of Noah, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. And he gives this picture. Here's that rapture piece. Two men will be out in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken and the other one left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know what day or what hour the Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And we can be sure of that. So Paul is going to point to this picture of this end time, this eschatology, this rapture here. So brothers and sisters, he said, this is the passage we looked at last week. So we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different angle, a slightly different lens this week. Last week was all about grief. This week is all about hope. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. So this is a new revelation that Paul is giving to them. Likely, this is my belief on it. I cannot, this isn't doctrinally proven, but I believe that Paul received somehow. How this looked, I don't know. But it appears as if when we look at Paul's writing, that somewhere in this regards, beyond that road to Damascus, that Paul received teaching somewhat in form or directly from Jesus himself and became an apostle through that, that opportunity, that training of what appeared to be 10 years before he actually began his, his ministry. And so somewhere in this, I believe that Jesus has revealed to Paul this reality of this rapture and this end time stuff. So I don't want you to be uninformed, he's telling these people in the Thessalonican church, about those who sleep in death so that you, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And that's huge. Yeah, we're called to grieve. The grieving is good. Grieving is okay. But we don't grieve as if we have no hope because there's a hope beyond hope that we're going to be seeing. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. All right, so Jesus' resurrection, key point. So that we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And this is what we remember last week. We're talking about the Greeks. The Greeks were afraid. Hey, these are our friends, our loved ones, and they've died. They're going to miss out when Jesus comes back because we believe once they're dead, they're just sleeping forever. They've escaped the nastiness of this world, but they're stuck there. So now what? And Paul's saying, don't have to worry about that. 
they will be raised up. There's going to be a bodily resurrection. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who've fallen asleep. So those who have already died in Christ will be raised up. I mean, that's crazy stock. We talked about that last week. This is an insane picture of the dead rising up. Uh, Paul gives us a wonderful picture in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll look at that in here in a moment. Not in depth, but a touch on it, where it's a different body. It's, it's not the physical body any longer, but he refers to it as a spiritual body. There's going to be a new body that will be given, and it is distinctly different. But we who are left will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Um, in case I don't I forget to mention it later, it's very interesting at this point. When we see the trumpet, Jesus referred to that trumpet. In this culture, and this is wonderful to understand this idea of this meeting that's taking place. So in the culture, what would happen is if a king's going to come into a city, much like Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that triumphal entry, there would be a big trumpet blast. So they'd sound the horns. So the, the people in the city knew that the king was coming and they would, be, they would go out of the city and they would meet the king and then they would all come back into the city together you know, basically shouting praise and acclamation to this king. That's the imagery that we have going on here. So when we see this rapture taking place, so Jesus is coming back, the king is coming, loud trumpets blast, people are going to be raising from the dead, and the believers who are still on earth will be coming up, and they'll meet with Jesus in the sky, is what we see in other places, and then together they're going to come into the earth and, what I believe, reign for the thousand years. Well, where does the tribulation fit? I don't know yet, okay? I don't have that figure it out. I'm not going to be taking my time and studying it. If you want to, you can, but I think you're missing the point. The point of it is this incredible, we're meeting with him, our king, and when he comes back, we're coming back with him. Where's your hope? I hope we can elect the right president next time. I hope our taxes can go down. Both are true, but there's something way better, and I don't want to miss what's better. So that's just this contextual picture. So after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord. And that's the imagery that we have. And Paul, as he's speaking to this culture, he knows that they understand it fully. We have to kind of dig in and find out what is he getting at. That was not a new concept to them. They grasped it right away. And so we will be with, and this is so huge, and so we will be with the Lord forever. If you spend your time like, oh man, I, I hope heaven has this. I hope heaven has this. I hope heaven has this. I'm with you. I understand that aspect, but I'll be honest. The more I look at the scripture, this is the key point. This last sentence right here is to be with the Lord. If you're so worried about what heaven will be like, I think you're missing the bigger picture of being with him. The, the more I spend time with the Lord, the, the, the more I realize my own depravity, but even more so, the more I want to just be with him. I hope you can find yourself in a similar position as well. So Paul also, in 1 Corinthians 15, he describes this similar situation, this rapture moment, this to be taken up moment. And he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? So here's this resurrection piece of it again. He's talking to the Corinthian church this time and say, well, how are the dead going to be raised? If this resurrection is actually real, where not only Jesus raised, but now he's going to bring all these dead, dead people with him. What kind of body will they come? How foolish, Paul says. In other words, you're, you're thinking about the wrong things. And he says, 
What you sow does not come from life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. In other words, he's saying the body that you have right now, is, your resurrected body is not going to be anything like it. And I, I might be taking this a little bit in a direction that was never really intended, but I do think it applies, and you're going to get a little bit of my opinion. If you disagree with me, I respect that, and that's okay. You don't have to agree with me on this. This is my take on it. But I know sometimes we've wrestled with this idea of, like, let's say, cremation. We oftentimes take moments and look at this physical body and try to align it with this resurrected body. I think they're totally different. So in other words, I, this, this earthly body will die and it will rot and it'll decay and it'll turn to dust. This resurrected body is not going to be like this body. I don't know how all it'll be different, but I get the, the impression here, it's going to be different. It's going to be spiritual. Will it be real and tangible? I believe so, but it's not going to be this same body. So I don't, do I need to worry about this body and how it decays and how it rots and turns to dust or cremated or what have you? I think we're missing that because whatever this is will be recreated into what God has gloriously designed. Okay? Again, that's a little bit my opinion. I'm not trying to sway anyone on that. I know there's some strong feelings sometimes when it comes to cremation or non-cremation, but the picture that I get right here is there's a, there's a distinction between the earthly body and the spiritual body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. Fish have another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind and the splendor of the earthly body is another kind. They're distinct. They're different. Well, how? I don't know. I have no idea. But when I read the scripture, it sure points that Jesus knows God knows, okay, well, who am I to try to tell him, well, maybe you should do it this way. Maybe if you put this and this and this and this. My dad and I were working on his cabinets yesterday in his kitchen. And so we're navigating this, well, how are we going to do this? We do this, and we come up with a plan. We, we made it work, right? God doesn't care what I think. He's got to figure it out. He doesn't need my suggestions in this regards, okay? So I can trust him in this. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. That one that goes in the ground, it's perishable, it is raised imperishable. It comes up totally different. That new body will not be perishable. There's a distinction. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body and it is raised a supernatural body. Do you see this? Listen, I'll tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the flash, here's that rapture moment. In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the last trumpet will sound. This is that same imagery that we have with the coming king. Boop, boop, boop. Okay, that was my trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. <laughs> that was a terrible trumpet. You're not only where you're off key, but the trumpet doesn't even make it in that key. Anyway, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. Daniel, verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 13 gives us also this picture of this resurrection of the dead and this, this uh, coming of the king. In my vision at night, Daniel said, I looked and there before me was one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people in every language worshiped him. His dominion in an everlasting dominion, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So here comes this king. Daniel saw it. This is way before Christ even came. And here comes Christ. He had this imagery of this coming, this king coming. It's like, this is an everlasting kingdom. This isn't an earthly kingdom. This is a spiritual kingdom. 
John 11. We know this one. This is one of those powerful images, images of the resurrection. So Lazarus has died. Remember, he was your, your friend Lazarus. He is asleep and he says, well, if he's asleep, we can go to him and he'll be, he'll, maybe he'll get better. And finally, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, he's dead, okay? Lazarus is dead. And he still waits like three days just to make sure he's dead, dead. And then he goes to the grave and everyone's there. They're sad and they're mourning. There's great grief, just like we read about last week. There's great grief. And Jesus engages with him in that grief because Jesus also weeps, though Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. But it shows his heart and his willingness to align with people. And in this moment, then they go to the gravesite. And what does Jesus do when he had said this? So he calls in a loud voice. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And when this voice of Jesus goes into the grave, what happens? The dead are raised. The voice of Jesus has the power to raise the dead. The voice of the king raises that which has perished up and is no longer dead. It's it's astounding. The dead man came out with his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Raised Lazarus from the dead. John 5. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, don't be amazed at, at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear this. And come out. In other words, they will hear my voice and they will come out of the grave because I have the power to give life to that which has no life. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. There's eternal life and there is eternal death. That needs to be in our minds and in our hearts. We have to understand that. Finally, I'm getting close to the end here. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust, Daniel also sees this resurrection, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. But there's hope. In Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There is hope. The hope is not in anything we find in this world but it is in this one who has promised to come. He is coming again. And with him comes the eternal hope. You won't find it satisfied anywhere else. If you're here and you're finding yourself, I'm just stuck in despair. You need to find the hope of Christ. And I understand this world is hard and this world is heavy. I'm not making light of that. This isn't such a snap your fingers type issue. This is like, oh, the Lord's got to do his transformation in my heart to make this a reality for me. I get that. For some of us, we're stuck in these, these patterns of, of thinking. We're stuck in these patterns of, of hate, of anger, of hurt. Whatever it is, this is a reality. Jesus wants you to know this hope that is beyond hope. Even in the midst of your difficulty, your hardships that you're facing, some of them are very real. I know that. I'm not making light of any of them. But that doesn't matter when you still understand the message because there is a hope beyond hope. 1 Corinthians 15 Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This comes from that passage of this resurrection. Paul says to him, he's like, hey, keep standing. This life is hard, but there's hope. And finally, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is how we ended it last week. It's how I ended this week again. This is amazing. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Do you need Jesus to freshen up that hope in your life this morning? Have you found yourself maybe on this path, this road that's just like, feels like I've got no hope? I'm just stuck in despair. I'm stuck in anger. I just want to encourage you. Jesus has promised 
a rich and real hope. You can experience some of it in this world in the sense where we know that that hope is to come, so I can hold on to it now, but that real hope is what is to come even after death. We don't have to be afraid of death any longer because Jesus has conquered death. We can have eternal life with him and his real life and his life with him. I invite the worship to come up. I'm not sure how this is landing on you, where, where you're finding yourself. Maybe some of you need that fresh sense of hope. Maybe if some of you is like, wow, I, I have hope. This is really good to hear, but it really didn't do anything for me. Maybe someday this will be something that you really need to use to empower yourself to just continue to stand. But there is hope. Some of you maybe have never put your hope in Jesus Christ. You've kind of always put it, well, I put it on the things that I have. I put it in my family. I put it in politics. I put it in my finances. You're not going to find it satisfied there. Those things cannot save you and give you eternal life. Only Jesus can do that. Find your hope in Christ.